Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hi, I'm Rena Nainen, and this is Ask Lisa, the Psychology of Parenting podcast. It's a podcast to help parents better understand their kids. Dr. Lisa Demore, a psychologist with three decades of experience and the author of three New York Times best-selling parenting books, takes your questions. Both of us are moms ourselves, and we're eager to hear from you. So send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And you can join our community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The handle is at Lisa Podcast. And also subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel, Ask Lisa Podcast. Episode 134, my son and his friends use slurs. Can I stop this? You know, one of the things that's always surprised me that you said, we did an episode once of a kid who kind of got canceled at school for something racial that he had posted. And you were like, he's going to just have to up and leave. And I was shocked you said that. But I kind of feel it's often unfair when you talk about teens because they're so rash about things and not thinking clearly and don't have the life experience that they can just get canceled over things like that. They can. And and when I think about that episode, you know, I don't think it was like the only thing I thought could happen, but I thought it was something that could happen where he Mm. may need to start over, you know, depending on the broader context of what was going on in that moment. So teens can be very rigid with one another about acceptable and unacceptable behavior. But also your teenage years, you should be able to have do-overs. And so much of what you tell us is about having these conversations early and often and that you say, I promise you, it'll sink in. It will. Never, I think, as fast as the adults involved <laughs> wish it would, but I think we have to believe, and we have research showing, that teenagers care what we say. Mm. So I want to read you this letter we got. Um, it's about slurs. It says, Dear Dr. Lisa, I have an amazing 14-year-old son. He's emotionally aware, gets straight A's, is the star of his wrestling team, and has just started high school feeling focused and excited. He can be very loving and thoughtful, But lately, he's been kind of, well, a jerk. He and his buddies make jokes that are terribly offensive, jokes about race, class, religion, sex, and gender, that, if overheard in public, would hurt, offend, and embarrass others. He swears that his friends who run the gamut of race, socioeconomic, and religious backgrounds all do it too, that they all take part in it in school and online, making fun of each other and themselves and everyone else. I'm a single mom, but my partner, who is male, assures me that this is just normal teenage boy behavior. And to a degree, I get that, but I feel compelled to stop it, to teach him in some kind of way that what he's doing is hurtful, hostile, and dangerous, not just himself, but to the people at whom his jokes are aimed. I hope he'll grow out of it, and everyone assures me he will. But in the meantime, I don't want to be silent about the hurtful things he's saying. Thanks so much for your help. Uh, You know what I love about our letters are these parents are so conscientious and know that something needs to be done and they don't want to be quiet. What does she do, Lisa? 
All right. Um, I know. As you're listening, as you're reading this letter, I'm like, what a gift. Like what a gift these letters are. They're so deep and thoughtful and complicated. Complicated. So my hunch is she's probably already said something, right? That she's tried to share with her son what she shares so eloquently with us. And Rena, as I listen to what you describe, I can feel like a split um, evolve in myself. The part of me is like totally horrified by this kid's behavior and his friend's behavior. Like, like I have a very strong, like visceral, personal reaction to the kind of language they're throwing around. Another part of me, the psychologist, always takes a more sort of anthropological stance. Like, what is this about for them? What does it mean to them? How does it operate in this peer group? And I think the reason I want to start there, actually, on the sort of psychological anthropological is, if she wants to change his behavior, if any parent wants to change any kid's behavior like this, you got to be really thinking about what the kid is getting out of it, how it is working, why it is working, because no one's going to get rid of something easily that is has a meaningful force for them, that works well for them. So walk me through this, yeah. Lisa. Why do teenage boys use racial, racial slurs, make fun of people's sex, religion? Why are they making fun of other people? Okay, this is key, right? Like, what are they getting out of it? Like, because I think if you just try to come down on it, it's just going to go underground. Like, you have to understand how this works. So, my sense is, and I think this is sort of tucked into the letter, this is a big part of the peer group activity. This is what they do for, like, and I'm using finger quotes for fun with each other, right? Is this kind of um, incredibly inappropriate banter, for lack of a better word? Um, that they tease each other, they tease, they talk about groups in ways that are totally inappropriate. I think there's probably pleasure in the known naughtiness of this, like we're not supposed to be doing this and we are doing this together. Um, and there's also, I think, a lot of social pressure to do it. So this is a good kid. She tells us he's a good kid. I believe her. She knows her kid. And so you picture a boy like this or a kid like this, but it's often boys who are using this as a way to create social glue. In a situation where people are starting to say things that are completely out of line, at 14, it feels like a real long shot for a kid to spontaneously be like, uh, guys, guys, like that's not cool. We shouldn't talk that way, right? That there's so much social um, momentum in the direction of using this particular kind of discourse to create a sense of community within themselves. And then, of course, when I talk to teenagers who are on the receiving end of this, whenever they do push back or who are participating in this, you know, when they do push back, everybody else quickly is like, we're joking, we're joking. Like, why are you mm -hmm. making such a big deal out of it? So it's very, very hard, even if the kid himself doesn't want to be part of it or doesn't want to witness it, it's not so easy for a kid to shut it down or to so try to make everybody stop. Once the train is going, everyone's on board, you just, you're part of it at this point and not yeah. being part of it has repercussions maybe in this Absolutely. Situation. Like that's a great metaphor. Like what are kids going to do? Like throw themselves off the social train? So I think we have to really grapple with that reality and how we're going to marry that reality with the fact that like they shouldn't be doing this. This is wrong. And as a mom or as a parent, 
you know, our letter writer is trying to seam together these realities. Like, I get it that my kid is doing this and I also need him to stop doing it. Is there anything I can do to get him to stop doing it? Does it change the fact that this mom is saying in this letter, look, my son's friend group is mixed in terms of race and even economic and religious background. Does it make it any better? I think it makes it much more complicated because what I hear teenagers say, and I can see their reasoning, even if I don't agree with their reasoning, is like, but it's a mixed race group and everybody in the group is doing it, right? So there's that. And then the other thing that teenagers will point to is the fact that words that have been seen as out of line have, when used by certain groups, been brought back into acceptable use. So for example, queer is probably one of the main examples of a word that was used as a slur. And then the technical term in the linguistics world is reappropriated by the queer community and in a way defanged because it's been taken over by the group against whom it was initially directed. Same with the N-word, that it is a word that is used within Black populations, some Black populations, as a term of affection or solidarity. And so kids will be like, why can't I use it? They're using it. It's being used. So there's some parenting that needs to be done. There's some work that needs to be done. And if a kid makes that argument, like, I don't know, my friends are saying it, they seem cool with it, I guess this word's not so bad anymore, Mm -hmm. I think it's actually worth saying it is a word that if you are not part of that group, it is totally off limits for you. And even within those groups, there are controversies about whether or not those words should be used. But if you're not a member of that group, it is not yours to use full stop. I think parents can say that and be very, very clear on that. But I think it does make it murky when it's not just a bunch of white guys doing this together, Mm. when it's a a mixed group. I want to pause and and take a quick break. Um, But I want to ask you on the other side of this is, you know, what, what, can you stop this really with, with teenage boys? We'll be right back. You're listening to Ask Lisa, The Psychology of Parenting. I love doing laundry now because of EarthBreeze. EarthBreeze are these eco sheets that look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated, liquidless, so you don't have that drippy goo from plastic jugs. EarthBreeze is really tough on stains, even odors. And if you've got teens, you know about those odors. Dermatologists tested, hypoallergenic, and also free of bleach, dyes, and parabens. Fragrance-free option is also there for anyone who wants it. So what EarthBreeze did was they got rid of the unnecessary chemicals for a formula that's kind to sensitive skin of all ages, and that includes babies. And I love that I just order online and the shipment comes right to my door when I need it. So right now, our listeners at Ask Lisa can receive 40% off of EarthBreeze. That's right, 40% off just by going to earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. That's earthbreeze.com slash Ask Lisa to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and get your 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. Did you know that most bedding is made with harsh chemicals like formaldehyde, synthetic pesticides, and toxic dyes? Luckily, one company is changing this standard for good. Bullen Branch Sheets, which you know I love, uses the rarest 100% organic cotton that's traceable from family farm to your family home. I have had my Bull & Branch sheets for a while now, 
and I love them. They feel like butter. In fact, I am so used to them now that when I travel, as I often do for work, I take my bowl and branch pillowcase with me and I put it on the pillow in the hotel room so I can enjoy that softness at least on my face, even when I'm not sleeping in my own bed. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bowl and Branch. Get 15% off your first order when you use the promo code ASKLISA at BowlandBranch.com. That's Bowl and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. Promo code ASKLISA. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I got the most amazing pair of boot-cut black work pants that have been a game-changer, all thanks to my stylist at Stitch Fix. The stylists understand your style, your size, your budget, and they do all the shopping for you. It took a couple of tries for the stylist and I to really see eye to eye, and once they did, it's such a game-changer. I asked for a pair of black pants that make my legs look good, and also would look good with a blouse or a nice top. They really nailed it. And then they found another cardigan for me that really works. I also love that they show you different styles of how you can put these outfits together. I love that it feels that she can read my mind now and we've got a rhythm to where all I do is say I need this type of wardrobe piece and she sends it to me and it fits and it works. Styles that make you feel as good as you look. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash asklisa. That's stitchfix.com slash asklisa. Stitchfix.com slash asklisa. Welcome back to Ask Lisa, the psychology of parenting. We're talking about getting kids to stop using racial slurs, what really works. Do you think, Lisa, it's realistic to expect this teenage boy that this mom writes about to stop using these racial slurs entirely? Is that realistic? I think it's realistic over time, to be honest. And it's not just racial. I mean, I think that there's sexist stuff in here. I think that there's, you know, probably anti-Semitic stuff in here. I mean, it sounds like this kid and his friends are really like making full use of the array of slurs that are available. I think what's really hard is that she uses the word normal teenage boy behavior. I don't know if it's normal, but it's certainly normed, that it's definitely being used very widely, certainly in this group, but I'm hearing about it a lot. And I'll tell you, Rena, one group, one form of this that I started hearing about in the last six months over and over and over again, all over the country, pretty spontaneously, was adults asking me, and actually even times kids asking me, about what they should do when kids, and it's boys always in this scenario, are quoting Andrew Tate. Mm, that's I don't a big know, one. Do you know who he yes, is? Yes, of yeah. course. But can you just explain? I think everyone kind of knows who Andrew Tate is, but why is this such a big deal among... I, we've seen this with teenage boys. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So Andrew Tate is a British American who... Um, I don't love the term toxic masculinity, but it's okay to, I think, apply it here. I think I think he really lives into it. Um, he is someone who had a very large social media platform. He's mm-hmm. theoretically been deplatformed. But his social media platform, which kind of came out of a kickboxing past, was entirely just about like Baroque misogyny. I mean, absolutely full on like the most denigrating, rudest, most um, sexist, um, flagrant kind of celebration of like toxic masculinity and like guys are great and women suck. I mean, like if, if you had to sort of sum it all up. And um, he is now under house arrest. 
his um, crew is being charged with all sorts of things around sex trafficking and rape. I mean, like terrible, terrible stuff. So theoretically, he's been captured and marginalized. Uh, he's doing fine in the world of um, middle and high school boys. I'm here. Why is it? Can you explain to me when you're talking about slurs, why is someone like Andrew Tate so beloved amongst certain teenage boys? Like, why is that hailed as hero esque behavior? Right, right. I mean, so there's this part where it's just like so vilely offensive. And then you're like, okay, but what's behind this? Yeah. So, I mean, I think if I had to give the most generous possible psychological explanation, it would be it's really hard to be a teenage boy. Um, that, you know, the world can make you feel really small. Girls are often doing extremely well. I mean, when we look at college admissions, you know, colleges are admitting girls at a much, much higher rate, and they actually have to work to admit classes that are even boys and girls because girls are so performing beautifully um, academically. So I, I, I mean, my most generous assessment is like, there's a lot in this world that can make boys feel small, and Andrew Tate is offering boys a way to feel big. And mm. so, you know, it goes from there. So, which is to say, this is all around, it is heavily normed, it is not just this kid. So that's what the parents who are working against this are working against. Um, I think the way to go at it is to start by acknowledging that this is not easy for this boy, right? Everything we said, like, look, I get it. This is what your friends are doing. I get it. These are your friends. I get it that to be part of what's going on, it means participating in this. I get it that telling them, guys, stop, that's racist, that's sexist, that's homophobic, is probably not a viable solution if you intend to stay in this friendship group, which of course is a question that one might call, like, are you, do you really want to hang out with these kids? But this kid's 14. I mean, are we really going to say you need to drop all of your friends and start over? That's not typically how teenagers operate. But I do think that the adults around kids who are playing in this space could say something like this. And I wouldn't say it all at once. I think I would say something like, you need to think about two continua. There is the continuum of hate, and there is the continuum of people who work against hate, and you are on one or the other. So yeah, you might guys might be making like what feel like dumb jokes. Your dumb jokes that take people's identities as uh, grounds for an insult, those are on a continuum with the Holocaust, with lynchings, with full-on racism that is not even meant to be funny, though it's really never funny. Your behavior is on that continuum, like just to say it. Do you find, Lisa, that works, that it gets through to teens? Because I found people who sometimes don't have connections to the Holocaust don't get it. Like once history has happened before your lifetime, it's like eons ago with kids, right? But do you find talking to them and saying, look, this is part of hate language. Like this is just not cool. You can't, does that resonate? Like what gets through teenage boys to get them to understand? I think the idea of saying it's on a continuum with these things may be a fighting chance because if you equate it with you know, horrible, murderous behavior, teenagers are like, but it's not. Like, we're just goofing around in someone's basement. So they, they quickly dismiss you. But if you say, look, it's on a continuum with this. It's not the same as this, but it's on a continuum with this. I think that you can say, you need to be on the other continuum where you are working against this behavior. So maybe you choose a profession 
where you, you know, give your whole life to working against it. Or maybe in your interactions, you start to find a way when someone makes jokes like that, where you're like, guys, let's just change the subject, right? Like where you are at, you know, maybe the lowest end of the anti-hate continuum, where you don't allow it in your presence. But I think that the way I would encourage this parent to think about talking to a 14-year-old is to say, buddy, I get it. You may feel cornered right now. Like these are your friends and this is what's happening. You are a smart guy. You're going to get yourself off of the hate continuum and onto the anti-hate continuum, and you're going to figure out how to do this. And then leave it as the expectation. Are there ways in the moment where they can't leave the train because all the boys are on the train and it is moving at 100 miles per hour? When you're in a situation, how can we uh, explain to our boys, here is something you can do without having to feel like the dork who is ruining the party, but not to be part of it. Is, is, is that even realistic? I think it is. And I think a lot of it, and this is, again, probably the lowest end of the anti-hate continuum, but we want to get the kid on that continuum, is something like, dude, then just change the subject or tell everybody you have to leave. Like, I'm calling and you suddenly have to excuse yourself, um, which is even like, that's not even, I mean, it's like we are at the teeny tiny yeah. tail end like but it's basically like i'm not going to stay here and watch this yeah. and tacitly you know participate in it um or say like guys like enough of this already like let's go play basketball or whatever mm-hmm. or like you know like give them some suggestions but rena i've become very humble about middle-aged people like us advising teenagers how they're supposed to um shift social forces that are happening in front of them like it's a really complicated world that we have like, I wouldn't even say like a fingernail grip on actually the dynamics that are at work. But I think talking to kids saying like, you are smart. You are a good kid. I don't think you feel comfortable participating in this. I know you don't. You got to get yourself on the anti-hate continuum. You're going to figure that out. I count on you to figure that out. And I'm expecting you to figure that out. But probably not yesterday, right? I mean, they may need time mm-hmm. to sort this out. But the bottom line is we have to say, like, you got to figure out what kind of person you're going to be and what you do repeatedly becomes who you are. Ooh, that is good. What you do repeatedly becomes who you are. Wow. I, you, you drop these little gems that sometimes I just sort of – the, the biggest thing that I have hope about parenting tweens and teens is when you say that talking to them, exposing them to this stuff, getting them to see, which – you know, I I never had these conversations with my parents because it's just like, you should know this stuff. This is so basic, but I'm realizing this is not basic to teens. It's not basic to teens. And we're up against a lot because it's not just their peer group. It is really their digital environments. And even, Rena, if boys follow sports online, if you go to any women's sports online, the comments are like an Andrew Tatathon in the comments about the women and athletes. And this is like right out there in the world. This is not happening in some sort of like secret space. And so there's so much more maybe work for parents to do right now in terms of talking about language, talking about hate, talking about norms, talking about expectations really appealing to the good part of kids because all kids have a good part, being realistic that they may not be able to shut it down on the spot, but they need to work in that direction, 
I think it's a very um, new and powerful aspect of parenting that hasn't always been as prevalent just because mm. our parents, we didn't have all this kind of digital access that our parents were working against. That's a great point. It's just a whole new world. And it, it makes me feel better as a parent to know that it is a different parenting era. I can't hear that enough. But Lisa, on this topic of, of sort of getting kids to stop using slurs, um, what else do you think parents should keep in mind? Well, Rena, let me ask you, right? You have a boy who's a boy of color. What would you, what would your reaction be? Or how would you enter into this if you overheard him and his friends? I think talking about it in private with him. You know, one of the things he loves to do is, because my family's from India, he thinks it's hilarious, a thick Indian accent and making mm. fun of, you know, mm -hmm. he thinks that's really funny. Um, and we've had conversations about why people would think that's uncool and why if you're around people who aren't Indian even using it. And um, and I think talking and ex having them see the other side of why this could be hurtful in a way that having that curtain open and being, this is what's behind that if you do that, you know, um, getting them to see what the scenarios are that could really affect their lives if they were caught at school. I think knowing that there are consequences for what you do and say. Awesome. Awesome. Right. And so then let me push further with that. Right. So one is don't do this because if anyone overhears it, like you will really be sorry. Or do you understand this is hurtful? Right. Like, you know, and then that's you... the second reason. But that's not the main reason to not do it. Not because you're going to get caught, but because it's a wrong thing to do. Mm -hmm. It hurts people. Here's another thing I think that we could put on the table. And I wonder if on a conversation with your son or this, you know, this letter writer's conversation with her son, which is to raise the possibility that there are people there who are laughing who actually don't find it funny, but don't feel that they can say otherwise. Right. They I feel wonder, helpless. They feel helpless. Like I wonder, mm. you know, if I picture, you know, your your sweet boy in a situation where maybe a white kid started doing the same Indian accent thing. Mm -hmm. I imagine that would hurt your son. But I also wonder if he would feel like he could be like, whoa, 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 stop, right? I think that would be very hard to do in that setting. And I think that's the hardest thing, right? It's like, it's what I worry about the most is going along with the crowd when everyone is drunk, getting into the car, when people are doing things that are going to destroy property or affect your standing at school, that you just go along because it's far easier than going against the current. I think that's right. Even if you're getting hurt, even if you're hurting others, the force of wanting to be have a strong sense of belonging to people who you mm. are your friends, are the kids you hang out with, like those are very powerful forces, you know, that are going up against each other. And it's very terrifying as a teenager to imagine becoming socially isolated. And so we have to really reckon with the fact that that's what kids don't want to have happen. Mm. Let me tell you, just hearing you talk about this, it's it's you don't even as adult want to feel socially isolated. So, you know, these situations don't go away. I feel like, um, you know, having the courage to stand up and, and, and say something is wrong or you don't agree with someone is, is not an easy skill to learn in your teenage years or your adult years. That is the truth. And yet, I think we can help our kids get there. And I think often in helping our kids get there, we can try to get better and better at it ourselves too. That is so true. That is so true. So Lisa, what do you have for us for Parenting to Go? For Parenting to Go on this one, I think that 
we have to recognize the complex situations, and this is a very complex situation, are not often resolved as quickly as we wish they would be. And I really think that for this to resolve as positively as possible, for this boy to really get himself onto the anti-hate continuum and then push himself further and further up that continuum in terms of his actions is going to take time, is going to take an open channel with this wonderful letter writer and other fantastic adults in his environment. And so I think on these things, my advice for the parenting to go is to say, you start a conversation, you set expectations, and then you make it clear that you are available to keep talking about this very hard thing and how the teenagers we love can meet the standards we're going to hold for them, even if it takes time. Setting expectations and having a standard to hold them by. That's really great, Lisa. It's fantastic. And um, next week, we're going to talk a little bit about something sort of a little different. How do you combat a kid's perfectionism? Because it's out there. Um, I, I'm not a perfect perfectionist, but um, how do we deal with kids? And, and why does it happen? I'm really curious about that. We'll talk to you next week. I'll see you next week, Lisa. I'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or mental health professional. If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 